0: from our scriptures, that we're going to be able to have all three of those things and to be able to have a life that is truly changed by Jesus Christ. Look in this story for a moment. This, If you take the Harmony of the Gospels, and some of you may not know what that is, that's usually in the back of your Bible. And what they have done is taken the various events through Jesus' three to four years of earthly ministry, and they have placed them on a timeline. And that timeline and the harmony of the Gospels will show what each story and each account has in the Gospels. It also forms a timeline. So you can see, even though the Gospels are written sometimes and reveal uh, different aspects of Jesus or reveal different different parts of what he had done, a harmony of the Gospels gives you a full timeline and a well-rounded understanding of what he was doing at various times in different Gospels. So it's like looking at Jesus from four different angles on a timeline. And if you look in the Harmony of the Gospels, what you're going to find is that Jesus goes to Simon's house, a Pharisee, a do-gooder, okay? Religious elite. Jesus goes to Simon's house shortly after he has a great discourse with people. Jesus says some incredible words. In fact, I want to read to you these few words that we believe led this woman to the feet of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus spoke those words to a multitude of people. And then later in the harmony of gospels, he goes into Simon Peter's house. So he has just left this public discourse where he has invited all of the weary, all of those who are burdened, all of those who need rest, all of those who need reconciled. He just gave this tremendous invitation and then turned, dropped the mic and walked away. He went into Simon's house. This woman is described in one way. She is described as a sinner. This is important for us understanding much of this story, much of the context of what happened in Simon's house, much of the context that spurred Simon's thoughts in his heart and Jesus' tremendous defense of this woman. You see, when a man is referred to as a sinner, most generally it had to do with either he wasn't keeping the law or he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were considered the worst of sinners for many of the same reasons we don't like tax collectors today and others. They worked for Rome. But when a woman was called a sinner, there was a predominant one answer. When she was labeled a sinner, it was because she was sexually promiscuous. She was either a prostitute or she had, was an adulterer. Um, any of those things were attached to a woman who was known to be a sinner. Any woman that was labeled that would have been known to be sexually promiscuous overwhelmingly throughout the Bible. So this woman, if we piece all of these things together, has had at some point some kind of, a, of an encounter with Jesus Christ. I believe she, I, I believe there's a great chance she was actually at that discourse where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But regardless, this woman, whom nobody was an outcast to society, who was an outcast to the religious elite, who people would literally walk on the other side of the street to get away from, a woman who was literally carrying a scarlet A on her, comes into this religious leader's house. Now in Jesus' day, if there was a feast, it was common for the person who was the main person at the feast, uh, They would people would generally walk into the courtyard. They could even walk across the room where they were eating just to catch a glimpse of the people, just to be able to see who was in there and talk to them. Nothing like our homes now. If you have a meal and have a guest over, you don't expect people to just go walking into your home and walking on out, or at least I don't. Most people don't. That's not the case here jesus was incredibly popular jesus was incredibly well known and when they found out that jesus was going to simon's house this woman walks in but unlike all the rest she doesn't walk in pause for a moment look at this messiah and move on she does something very different this woman whom nobody else would have wanted to be around This woman that would have brought about scorn and rebuke from everybody she encountered, most everybody, walks in and instead of walking on through, she falls down at his feet. And she begins to worship. In an incredible, an absolutely incredible way. Now I want you to think of three things this morning. This woman was repentant. It says, the woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. This is a tremendous act of worship. Remember, worship is our response to God. She has obviously been forgiven. She has obviously encountered Jesus Christ. She has obviously heard that she is, she can be a child of God. She had obviously heard that invitation and realized that it was extended to, yes, even her. And she comes in. Nothing is going to stop her. She is focused. She is on target. She knows where Jesus is and she's willing to go in. This worship was an act of repentance. This worship was the fruit of a life that was changed. She once went after men for a very different reason. But now she is seeking Jesus for a much different reason. She is not coming by a way of making money. She's not coming and walking in unrighteousness. She is literally coming because she has physically, spiritually, emotionally felt the weight of the burden of her sin removed. She has been accepted while everybody else cast her out. She realized that she had been touched, literally, by the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Knowing that women who were known sinners in the Bible were prostitutes or adulterers, why do you think she had an alabaster flask of very costly perfume? She had it because it was part of her job. That would have been a crucial element of her previous life. That would have been a really important tool in what she was doing. If you don't believe me, read Proverbs. This woman would have used that perfume to help attract the men to begin that transaction, that illicit transaction. So here, if we're looking at this woman having encountered Jesus Christ and believing that she could be forgiven and having her shoulders now extended, no longer under the weight, under the crippling weight of guilt and shame, now she's free. And what does she do? She goes through her house. She knows where Jesus is. She finds the greatest thing she has, the most costly, the most precious thing she has, which was also a representative of her old life. And she takes that perfume... Not to put on herself now to attract men, but to put on Jesus because of what he has done for her. Let me tell you something. Love. Love. Our love for God. John is absolutely right. We love him because he first loved us. This love that we should have for Jesus should be a response. To what he has done for us. Look at this second thing. She was grateful. It's evident. She says not a word. Not one word is spoken. But her gratitude, her thankfulness, her worship is evident in her posture, in her practice. Everything she is doing is a response to what God had done for her. She knew what she had received. Look at what Jesus says. This is why I can tell you that this woman was already forgiven. This is why I can tell you that her encounter with Christ on the floor was a response to something that had already taken place. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Jesus is using very simple teaching style here. He's placing it in the, in the time frame that everybody could understand, everybody could relate to, and he says this this man, th- this one man had two, two, two people who owed him money. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Jesus is justifying this woman's position by telling Simon, She's the one who owed the creditor the most. He is now taken in this story. He is now, Simon, who was trying to distance himself from this encounter, is now drawn into it. Jesus has just brought him right into the story. Jesus is saying, Simon, this is you. You owe 50. This woman owed 500. And the creditor freely forgave them both. Which of them do you think loves him more? And it forced Simon. He forced Simon. To say the one who owed the most. And Jesus said you judged rightly. Jesus in his teaching. Showed that this woman. By the way let me reiterate this. Both. Were unable to pay their debt. Both had a sin debt, one larger, one smaller, but they both were unable to pay. Friends, we find ourselves in this story. We may owe more. We may have a great amount of sin. We may have not as much sin as other people, but the truth of the matter is this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. We are all unable to pay the sin debt that we owe. We all come to God as a hell-deserving sinner saying, God, I am unable to pay. I fall on the mercy of my creditor. I may be better than some. I may be worse than others, but I am still morally, spiritually bankrupt, and I have to have a reconciliation from you. Notice, these people were not indebted to Christ. The Bible says that he freely forgave them both. Freely forgave them. Notice this third thing, guys. The woman was bold. She walks into a room that was hostile towards her. This woman was not new to that culture. She knew there was only one in that room. That wouldn't shoot sneers and stares at her. I imagine the disciples themselves probably felt a little out of place. But in this story, all she cared about, this is important. All she cared about was being where Jesus was. Let me show you another side of this. Jesus, in his justification of the woman, rebukes Simon, the Pharisee. See, it was customary in that day that when you had a guest, not just a guest, but a special guest like Jesus, you you would wash their feet. The dirty, dusty roads, the sandals that they wore, it was essential that when you came into somebody's house, the host would have somebody there, probably a servant, or even the lowest of servants, to be able to wash the feet of your guest. It was customary that you would greet them with a kiss, right on the cheek. A kiss of of, of brotherhood, a a kiss of fellowship. It was customary in that hot place to be able to refresh your guest with putting oil on their forehead to give them some relief from the heat that was the minimum that you would do wash their feet kiss their cheek and anoint their head with oil that was the minimum and simon probably out of fear obviously he's questioning he's wondering he's riding the fence he knows that every action that takes place in his house is going to be under the scrutiny eyes of the religious leaders So maybe he didn't want to go showing too much love or too much favoritism or too much over-the-top demonstration towards Jesus because he was afraid maybe he would be called onto the carpet by it from the religious leaders. But regardless, Jesus calls him out. I want you to think about this one thing. Simon invited Jesus to come to him. But the woman went and sought Jesus out. Now think about that for a minute. Simon invited Jesus to come to him. The woman found out where he was and out of love went to him. I can't help but think sometimes in my life Be a whole lot easier if I just said, Jesus, come over here to me. Jesus, come and work in, in my life. Jesus, come and work in my situation. Jesus, come over here and, and bless me. Come over here and be my guest. There's a vast difference between that type of an attitude and the attitude that says, I love Jesus and I'm going to go wherever he is. I love Jesus. I'm grateful for what he's done. And I'm going to live my life as a reckless pursuit. To be in fellowship and worship with him. To live. Jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments. Jesus defined love. Simon didn't do the minimum. But she did the max. Love causes us to do funny things doesn't it? If you don't believe me go back to the time you were engaged. If you haven't been engaged or married very long, go back and look through your, your, time, your time hop on Facebook, okay? You see people, they're crazy in love. You know what I'm talking about. I know some of you are still crazy in love, and I hope you always are. Love causes us to do funny things. I don't have a problem at all pulling out my phone and showing random strangers my kids. I love them. I think everybody should love my kids and I think that they should see them and and talk about how wonderful they are and how much they look like their mother and all that. I love it when people compliment my kids. I'm not afraid to pull it out and show anybody at any time my kids but do I do the same for Jesus? Am I afraid to pull him out and talk about him to anybody? if I love other people the way I love Jesus Christ, what would the fallout be? It's a love that I have defined as love for God. If I applied that to my marriage, what would my marriage look like? What if you only talked to your wife on Wednesdays and Sundays? What if you all but ignored her all through the week but a couple times Throughout the week. What if when you did talk to your husband or your wife. It was just this recited little saying. Just to get it done. As we sometimes do with prayer. Wouldn't last long. What if we really. What if those of you that have an on fire relationship. With Jesus Christ. And, and when you love your wife like that. Or you love your husband like that. Or you love your children like that. That is going to radically Change. You see, when we evaluate our true love for God and define it, not by ourselves, but define it by the way God defines it, that's going to change things, friends. Remember this. No one is unlovable. No one. They may not want it, welcome it, or reciprocate it, but nobody is unlovable. This type of love, this type of love, Man, love is a powerful thing. Peter had previously told told Jesus at one point, though all will deny you, I will not. Peter said, I'll go to jail. Jesus said, no. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times, Peter. Many of you probably know the story. Peter was outside the high priest's palace, warming himself by the fire. A little girl came up, said, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. She brought more people. You're one of his disciples. Your speech agrees to it. No, I'm telling you, I don't know the man. And then a larger group of people comes up and says, you're one of his disciples. I know it. And Peter calls heaven to record his words. Peter literally swears, saying, I want heaven to hear my words that I don't know this man you speak of. The rooster crows and Peter is immediately broken. Peter did not live up to the man he said he was going to be. Peter just denied the greatest man in his life. Peter just denied Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. He runs off and cries and weeps bitter tears. Jesus is crucified. He lays in the tomb for three days. After the third day, he gloriously reappears, resurrected from the grave. He is defeated, death, death. Hell and sin. He comes out of the grave and he seeks to restore Peter. He tells the disciples that are there and the women, go tell Peter that I have risen from the grave and I go before him into Galilee. Jesus wanted Peter to know he was looking for him. And then some of the disciples are in the boat. Fishing. And Jesus walks along the bank and he sees them fishing. He tells them to cast their net on one side, and they do, and they catch a net full of fish, and they remember, this is Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat. They swim back to the shore. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? The one that could have easily been eaten up with guilt. The one that could have easily been broken. Carried that weight and shame all his life of being the denier. Jesus simply looked at him and said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And then a third time. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. When we... Allow ourselves to question. if We really love God. It's an incredibly powerful thing. Because there's nothing special about us. That can keep us. From allowing. Our heart. Our love. To grow cold. How do we do it? The same way the woman did. Keep in her mind. Fresh in her mind. The debt that was forgiven. And the price that was paid for her. We do that through our Bible study. Personal prayer time. Anything we can do to hold on to that reminder. That I was once a debtor. But Jesus freely. Forgave my debt. If one died for all. Then all are dead. The question this morning. The truth this morning. Is that God loves you. With a love that. I, I can't understand. I can't wrap my mind around. The love of God. I believe it. but I can't understand it. And even if I could understand it, and even if I could run the perimeters of God's love and communicate it to you, I don't know that any of us would have the mind big enough to understand it, to grab a hold of it. He loves you so much that no matter what the level of your spiritual, moral debt is, He is not just willing but eager to wipe it away through the work that He accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Today, you can be like this woman whose debt was great but was absolutely wiped clean. It was not her worship that saved her. It was not her tears. It was not her sacrifice. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Church, redeemed, forgiven, beloved of God, How much do we love God based off of his definition of?